back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is Session 99. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll pick up where we left off on Chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So unless you're driving, turn to Chapter 2, verse 14 of the letter to the Ephesians. Paul starts out here talking about Christ as being our peace, for he is our peace. He who made both one and broke down the dividing wall of enmity through his flesh. What he's talking about here is there seems to be a division, there is a division, between those new Christians who came over from Judaism and their laws, their Jewish laws, and those of the uh, people who came over to Christianity from whatever their belief system was before. And so now we can both uh, approach God through the sacrifice of Christ who opened the door for us all to, uh, to share in the glory of God. So uh, he goes on and talks about peace. I won't read all this to you. But he mentions the word peace one, two, three, four times within the next uh, three verses. So again, we see Paul repeating himself. And um, so uh, what about this peace anyway? Uh, there have been objections to Christianity by people who say, well, um, there is no peace. We see wars constantly in the world. I recall a friend of mine who went on a tour of the Holy Land. And the tour guide for his particular trip was a Jewish fellow. So they traveled together in this group on a bus for a number of days. And one time during a break, he asked the tour guide, well, you seem to know more about where Jesus walked and what he did than anybody on this tour. So if I may ask you, I, I don't want to be impertinent, but uh, why are you not a follower of Christ since you know so much about where he walked? And the Jewish fellow had an immediate answer. He said, well, look around you. We, we have reports and we have seen incidences of violence in the Holy Land even very recently. And he said, if Christ really were who he said he was, he would have brought us peace. But instead, we have, uh, we have all this turmoil. So therefore, he must not be who the Messiah that we are looking for. Now, how would you respond to that person? Hopefully, you would say something along the lines of, yes, but the peace that Christ promises us is not necessarily peace uh, that is to say the absence of war on this earth, but rather an internal peace in knowing that as followers of Christ, we can spend eternity in heaven where, of course, there is no war, where there are, is not even enmity between, uh, between us. So our peace is a peace of knowing that our future can be secure should we follow Christ and persevere in following him. And that means all that goes along with following Christ. 
So peace is not just the absence of war, but rather an eternal peace. Now, uh, he talks about the church a bit. Pick up on verse 19. You are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the holy ones and members of the household of God. That is to say the church, right? Verse 20, and I want you to underline this, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the capstone. Please, please, please underline verse 20. He's talking about the church. Which church? Well, how many churches did Christ start? Again, we go back to Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 through 20. One church, right? Upon this rock, I will build my church. Okay, and in verse 21, he says, through him, the whole structure is held together. What structure is he talking about? The church. Okay, so it's not just Jesus and me and the hell with thee. It is the church. Yes, we worship as individuals, but we also worship as a community, and that community is the church. Okay, on to chapter 3. And let's see, the free talks quite a bit about grace, and we've already talked about a lot about grace, particularly when we studied Paul's letter to the Romans. And uh, he reinforces the idea of the mission of the church in verse 10, probably worth underlining verse 10 of chapter 3, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made, no be made known, what? Through the church. And so underline that. It's not just you as an individual. It is through the church that the message of Christ is, is proclaimed. And I'd like you not only to underline verse 10, but also in your margins write 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. And that is, we haven't gotten there yet, that is where Paul himself writes, the pillar and foundation of truth for the believer is the church. Many think it's the Bible, but the Bible was given to the church is a tool for the church to use. But we had the church before we ever had the New Testament. Okay. Uh, let's see. Moving on. We, so to summarize, these first three chapters talk about, you know, the, the church, uh, belief, uh, and, uh, you know, the, you know, what's, what's involved there. The final three chapters of Ephesians are going to be about the behavior of the church, uh, what, what is acceptable, Right. So let's begin with chapter 4 here. And uh, he's, he says that we are to have, in, starting in verse 2, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another through love. So ask yourself, how am I doing with patience? Uh, as you know, I've said before, patience is something I struggle with. I pray for patience, but I want it right now. And so maybe you're like that as well. So uh, I would encourage you to underline verse 2 of chapter 4. 
and think, am I being gentle in my dealings with others? Am I being patient? Am I bearing with one another? Um, now, he goes on to talk about the importance of, in verse 4, one body, and he's talking about the church, one spirit, as you were also called to the one hope of your call, one Lord, how many faiths? One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So with the, I want you to underline in verse 4, one body, one faith, one baptism. So, how many churches are was it was it uh, was desired for there to be? I would go with one. Okay, uh, do you think that that God is happy that there's thirty five thousand different denominations of Christianity when in fact there was one church for the first fifteen hundred years after Christ? Yes, there has always been uh, differences of opinion within that church but there was one church for 1,500 years, um, and I'm including our uh, Orthodox friends within that because the theology was the same, the acknowledgement that, um, you know, the apostles were the founding fathers was the same in both. Uh, Pope John Paul referred to the Orthodox Church as the other lung of uh, of of the church with the uh, you know the the roman church uh, the the catholic church proper as being the other lung okay he reminds us that we all have different gifts everyone has different gifts to serve the church that's uh, not a new concept for paul to explain to us in verse 7 and um, he goes back to the idea of building up the body of Christ in verse 12 um, until we all attain to the unity of faith in verse 13. Uh, I might underline building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of Christ. I might circle the word unity. Again, Paul is for having one church. And uh, why do we need one church? Verse 14, underline that. So that we may no longer be infants tossed by waves and swept along by every wind of teaching arising from human trickery, from their cunning in the interests of deceit, deceitful scheming. Rather, living the truth in love. I would underline uh, verse 15 as well. Living the truth in love, we should grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, so one body, the church, joined and held together, um, you know, builds itself up in love. So I think verse 15 is worth underlining as well. Okay. So now he talks about, um, uh, in verse 24, uh, still in chapter 4, he says, Be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and, well, that's in verse 23 and 24, and put on the new self. So you're a new creature in Christ, are you not? This is not a new concept for Paul to explain. We've seen it before. But you should really be a changed person. Uh, when when you begin your walk with Christ, the things that you desired before, 
kind of get on the back burner, right? Some of which are not so good, and some things are good, but maybe uh, made were made too, too great of a priority in your life before. And so uh, now you, you gradually begin to say, Lord, I want your will for my life, not my will for your life. Or even better, Lord, make my will be your will. So um, be a uh, um, put away the old self and be renewed in the spirit and put on the new self. So for daily conduct, continuing on in uh, chapter 26, be angry but do not sin. You know, there are things we should be angry about. Uh, some of our uh, government uh, uh proclamations about that abortions okay we should be angry about that but do not sin be angry but don't you know burn down an abortion clinic right there are ways to deal with that uh, without um, without sinning so it's okay to be angry it's okay to have righteous indignation remember Jesus in the temple right he knocked over a bunch of things drove people out uh, it's okay to have righteous indignation with uh, the problems of society. Be angry, but put that anger to good use. Do not sin. Do not let the sun set on your anger, because that'll really screw up your sleeping patterns if you don't deal with it before. Don't leave room for the devil. Okay, so um, stay away from things and things that you look at that uh, where, where the devil Will, uh, will tempt you, okay? Uh, verse 29, no foul language, gosh darn it, should come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for needed edification. So that's something to really work on, right? Um, we want our speech to be pleasing, to be edifying to other people, not the foul language that, uh, that others use. And uh, so if, that is, if that's an issue in your life, I know that I struggle with that as well. Uh, pray about that and uh, make steps to, to improve that. Uh, verse 31, all bitterness, fury, anger, shouting, and reviling must be removed from you along with all malice or hatred. Be kind, compassionate, forgiving, okay? Forgiving one another as God has forgiven you in Christ. That is so important. If it just said forgive one another, okay, we'll, we'll try that. But remember, when you have to forgive someone, what Christ has forgiven you of as well. Now we're on to chapter 5. And uh, that talks about... Uh, one of one of the one of the parts of chapter five that is most difficult is uh, the the part about husbands and wives and their their behavior. I don't think we're going to have time to get to that today, but we will try. Um, let's see. Um, don't um, well. Don't be immoral. Don't be greedy. Don't be an idolater. These, these are things that, um, you know, are, are somewhat self-evident. Uh, verse 18 of chapter 5, do not get drunk on wine. Okay, uh, 
Better yet, don't get drunk at all. So just to be clear, the Catholic Church is fine with having an occasional drink, uh, or perhaps even two. The proclamation of the church is not a, that alcohol in and of itself is bad. The, the proclamation is against drunkenness, debauchery, etc. As a matter of fact, if you want to underline verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, uh, in your margins you can write 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, where Paul gives some advice to Timothy, who has some stomach problems, and says, hey, Drink a little wine. It might help you with your digestion, with your, with your stomach problems, okay? So again, everything that God makes is good. Everything. However, we as men tend, uh, as, as, as humans, we tend to want to misuse or overuse the things that God has made that are good, uh, even the drugs, you know, the opioids and all that, they can be good painkillers, but you can use too much of them and get addicted, etc. So everything that God made is good. We just have to be certain that we do not, um, um, you know, uh, use it in a, overuse it, use it in a bad way, etc. So uh, that's about all the time we have today. Come back next time and we will talk about this seemingly controversial area of women being subordinate to their husbands and all that goes with it. Uh, spoiler alert, there's more to that whole session than just wives being subordinate to their husbands. So um, anyway, come back next time. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, it's very clear from what we've seen just in these couple of chapters that Paul is talking about the need for unity in the body of Christ. One body, one faith, one baptism. And so help us to bring uh, those back into the fold that have strayed from the Catholic Church and help us to be a, a beacon of light for those who are outside the Catholic Church to bring them into the fullness of truth, which is your, your church. We ask also that you make us aware of our own failings as we look at the behaviors mentioned in, in chapter 4 and, uh, and 5. And uh, help us to do a good examination of conscience, not just for ourselves, but so that we can be better witnesses uh, to others as we talk to them about Christ. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 